Welcome to Back in the Grind, a podcast about life, music, people, and the stories that bring us closer. Today, I'm sitting down with Florida's phantom folk band, the Swamp Rats. We talk about the skunk ape and Mothman and some other cryptids. We share some ghost stories. We talk about anxiety and always being on the road. And at the end of this episode, you get to hear their song, Butcher's Name. Enjoy this episode as I bring you closer to the Swamp Rats. All right, we got Florida's phantom folk band in the house, the Swamp Rats. Do y'all want to introduce yourselves? I'm Scotty. I'm Andy. And what do you guys do in the band? Why don't you want to let us know who does what? I uh, play guitar and sing and do percussion. And uh, Andy plays banjo and sings. And we both write the song. So what's with the phantom aspect of this? Florida's phantom folk band. Where, where does that come from? It's kind of funny. Uh, I kept hearing it around Florida a lot that, oh, oh, we've heard of you guys, but I don't know if we've seen you, you know? So it was always kind of like we turned into a, a ghost of a band, you know? Right. It was a, I kind of remember who you might be. <laughs> yeah. I guess that maybe it speaks more to our memorability, but, you know, just folks be like, yeah, I think I've heard of this band. And just, it's like we're there, but we're really not. But we're kind of, we've kind of been all over the place, all over the state, you know. And it's almost like a phantom, like it's there, but it's not, you know. <laughs> and it was kind of a running joke for a while. So, so I know you're both also, I, I mean, I don't know if you describe yourself as artists outside of music, but like you had some stickers that Scotty made. And I believe you paint. A number of different things, yeah. How? Where did the art like come in? Was that something you were doing before music or after? It came well, up. I've been educated time. in art. I have a bachelor's degree in art history, and my associates is in fine art. So I've been studying art pretty much my whole life. I've been oh. studying music for a long time as well. I started playing instruments at like age eight. Mm. So um, Scotty went to school for illustration for a short while before he ended up going to school for music business. Yeah, we try to work it into just about every aspect. I mean, if you're DIY, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so that's one thing we enjoy, you know, getting to double dip and do two cool things <laughs> rather than just one cool thing. Yeah. It's yeah. A kind of what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm working on right, these, yes. working on these little uh, cards. Yeah, you had some awesome stickers when we saw you. Um, you had some like really fun characters. I I appreciated that. What got you into like drawing characters? Is that the main stuff that you enjoy to do? And for me, it is. Uh, yeah. It's mostly comics. I grew up reading comics because I don't read as fast as other people and it isn't, stuff doesn't comprehend as quickly. So, comics was always a, a very easy, digestible way for me to take in literature that other people were. And I don't know, the characters are always there. So, it was always a lot of fun to try to copy some of those characters growing up. Characters always have been a lot of fun. <laughs> I got, actually got kicked out of class when I was a kid for drawing comics of the, the teachers that I butted heads with. <laughs> so, being from Florida, are y'all familiar with the skunk ape at all? Sure. Yeah, what do, you, I just, what do you know about the skunk ape? Like, what's the story? What's the myth that you've heard? The legend? Just a stinky Bigfoot. Is yeah, he's like the Florida version of Bigfoot. Like, he's 
There's plenty of uh, there's plenty of motherfuckers out there that tell you all about them. But yeah, there's honestly, a skunk, there's a Skunk Ape Research Center that you could probably learn a whole bunch about. Yeah. It's a uh, it's down in the Everglades. Dave Sheely. Sheely. Yeah, he's got some like Discovery Channel uh, specials or something. Right, but he's got a museum that's pretty much like all of his artifacts and stuff. You know. Yeah. Have you all been there? Yeah. I haven't. Scotty has, but he's told me about it. I really would like to. Yeah, I went, yeah. We like the whole cryptozoology stuff. We just went to the Mothman statue too. Yeah, the Mothman Museum. Where's that? Yeah. Where was the Mothman? I heard like a while back, someone said he was flying around in Chicago or something. Um, where's the Mothman Museum? It's in, uh, was it it's in Pleasant? Point, Point Pleasant, Pleasant Penn- West Virginia. West Virginia. Excuse me. Yeah. He's supposed to have been to like. Uh, He's a Pittsburgh and stuff too, so who knows? He might be in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, but Point Pleasant, West Virginia, is where the bridge collapsed. That he supposedly warned them that something was going to happen, and someone had like a premonition about the bridge collapsing, and the bridge actually did collapse at one point. Yeah, there's a whole movie about it. The movie's terrible, but the museum has mostly like movie props in it. That's like Richard Gere touches blanket, you know? <laughs> like, what's the connection to the bridge and the Mothman? Well, he supposedly was seen by someone who later had premonitions, I guess, about the British failing. So they're like, oh, he was, like, warning us. So Mothman's actually, like, a good guy, cryptid, Mm. you know? Not here to scare you, but here to warn you. But they say after the bridge collapsed, he was never seen again there. But if you drive through Point Pleasant, there's, like, Mothman painted on the car wash. It's the Mothman car wash, you know? They've got, like, a sculpture that an artist did of mothman and he's got like insane butt cheeks it's like wow why it's like metallic it's crazy yeah, yeah. shiny <laughs> shiny, shiny Every, cake everybody yeah. touches them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we love the idea of like the skunk gate and stuff uh i'd like to go see the museum that scotty talks about do you have a favorite cryptid i'm learning about new ones all the time so i don't think i have a favorite we have a we have quite a few like mothman things. it's hard not to love mothman do you, yeah. do you know anything about Chupacabra? Heard, yeah. Because there's yeah. like, well, it's from my understanding, like I've seen like there's two different like, like there's one Chupacabra that looks like an animal, and then there's one that looks like an alien. So like, what's like, why is there two? Like, are they? Do you know anything? Like, what's the story? I know that there's like there is two like two very different depictions of it. You know, one looks very very more monstrous and alien looking, and then the other one just looks like a, a crazy freaking dog, you know? Some kind of science experiment mm-hmm. going wrong. <laughs> but I don't know. That's something I probably wouldn't want to run into, man. Yeah, no. It's a scary motherfucker. Yeah, does it does it mean goat sucker? Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's a goat trend. sucker. Yeah, because I think the story surrounding Chupacabra is that, you know, people were finding, like, farm animals and stuff, looking like they had been attacked by something, but like having all of their fluids sucked out of them or something, mm. you know? So it's like, they called it the goat suck. Like a spiny back, but like crawling around kind of like a coyote or a wolf or something, you know? In, in all your touring travels, have you seen or possibly seen a cryptid, you think? Has there ever been something that you're like, huh? I think we might have seen something that was really weird and creepy one time. And, uh, I mean, Andy, I think, experienced something, like, ghostly. But 
We were like the. I'm trying to remember when it was. I think you could help me. Uh, Which we one were, are you talking? About? We were driving from some show, but we we were getting ready to go on the interstate. We're already like, man, this place is kind of fucking weird. Oh, we were in the camper. Yeah, the year that we had the camper, and then we turned like we turned left onto the interstate, and there was just this fucking dude, like big old white eyes. And it almost looked like he had like blood coming down his mouth, but he was just standing there in the dark with a bag of chips. And, and just like, yeah, so right on the on ramp, like off to the side of the on ramp to the interstate. We're coming onto the interstate. And yeah, it looked like he had blood all over his shirt. And he was like standing there, just kind of looking like that thousand yard stare where it's just like not really looking at anything, but eating a bag of chips. And I'm like, so I'm like, maybe not cryptid, but could have been. Yeah. Was was there and it, was that what the ghostly experience you're talking about, or was there something else? That was something else that happened. That was in Rochester, New York. Yeah, that was actually like pre-COVID. Like, what was what was <laughs> the ghost experience? Was that just you, Andy? Or well, I mean, I'm the only one who experienced it, but we, we were, were we were playing a show in um in Rochester at this yeah. place called the Abilene Bar and Lounge, and it was in a building that I think was like. From the 1700s. Don't quote me on that. I had to ask. Yeah, it might have been older than that, but I know, like, I asked about the history because of something weird that happened. Like, the only bathrooms in the place were up the stairs. So, like, the venue and the bar was on the bottom floor, and then you'd go up the stairs into a hallway to go to the bathroom. And there was another room that had, like, a, a keypad, like a locking keypad that you had to put a code in. And then the other one was the door. And it's like, when I was going up, I heard the door shut up there like someone went into the bathroom and the light was on in there so like i stood in the hallway and i was waiting for this person to come out and 10 minutes goes by and i'm like wow and i knocked on the door and i don't hear anything and i open it up and it's like nobody's in there but nobody came down past me down the stairs and it's like a big heavy door that like unless it's propped open by something like it's not just gonna stand open on its own you know so i'm like why was it open and well how did it close and nobody else was up here but me and that's when i came downstairs and i'm like how old is this place you know and they're like, at one point it was a brothel, I think, and at one point it was like a battered a home shelter. for battered women, I guess, you know, is what and they would have called it. And then the it time. was a gay bar. And then it was a gay bar later on. It was like, <laughs> yeah, all kinds of biz- had a bizarre history. So I was just like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. So I don't know for sure if I like experienced anything weird or if like I just heard somebody like going into that other door, but like I don't think anybody was up there with me. It was weird. Who knows? <laughs> My kids love this story. They always ask about it. But I was um, actually in a cemetery in Connecticut. It was uh, really late at night. It was probably, it was close to midnight. I was hanging out with one of my friends. And we were just walking around in the cemetery. And then we see this rabbit. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, you know, what's this bunny doing out at midnight in a cemetery? I was like, whatever. And it's just kind of hopping along the cemetery. And it's hopping, hopping, and it stops. And it turns and it sees us. And it's, you know, it's obviously saw us and stopped. It's looking right at us. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Me and my friend keep walking. Then all of a sudden, the, this bunny starts hopping directly at us full speed. And then it wouldn't stop. And it got co- and it got close. And we, we, we got, it was just weird being in the cemetery and this midnight and this rabbit is like charging us. And we like ran out of the cemetery scared. That is weird. Well, you know, I, I didn't think rabbits are out at midnight. If Are you familiar with the Warrens? The ghost hunters. They're probably know. like some of the old school original ghost hunters. Like they're like before like the internet. 
they were buried there after I saw the ghost bunny, but they have a museum in Connecticut. If you're, it's a, they have a pretty cool, um, collection of stuff, but yeah, they were like the original ghost hunters from Connecticut and, uh, back in the day. It's definitely like, if you all come back, we can like check out some, uh, some of the Warrens museum and some, some old cemeteries. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I would love. So what, what is it about, cryptids that's like obviously like you both knew like you know more than i do like what what's intriguing about that for both of you i mean for me the characters yeah <laughs> do you draw them do you ever like draw have you drawn the mothman i have i drew like i think i drew 12 different cryptids and mothman just happened to be the first one right so i, I drew quite a few of them uh earlier this month <laughs> So, but what led to your guys' like interest in that stuff? Like, I so, saw like for you, it's like the characters and just like it's a something that's not usual. <laughs> something that you see across different cultures too. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? This interesting perspective on it that like potentially cryptids are like manifestations of anxieties that we have as people in our society that we can't control. So we kind of like create these things that we are hysterical over that are more tangible of a problem, you know, to like be like, well, now we can actually address it because it's something we can reach, if that makes any sense. You know, some examples of cryptids can maybe be looked at in that context. It's an interesting perspective. It's like, oh, we, have, we have a scary, we like, we're worried about children and their safety as a whole. So like every Halloween, we have this freaking hysteria over somebody poisoning your kid's candy, which there are little to no examples of that ever happening in history. We don't have evidence for that. So it's just like we create this boogeyman as a people, you know, and I think some cryptids kind of fall into the category of like stuff that we've kind of manifested in our own right that we have a fear about because we can't control. It's all interesting. There are things that we don't have evidence that are actually real, but we all believe so firmly that they are contrary to all of the evidence. (laughs) Like, it's just wild. The, uh, the Kraken, right? Like the giant squid. Like, you know, they used to say there was no such thing as the Kraken. And then they discovered the giant squid, you know, within recent history. Absolutely. That concept is interesting. Um, I'm a big fan of Carl Jung. I don't know if you ever heard of, of him. The, he was a psychologist, but he did some like really amazing yeah. work. He talks about UFOs in the same vein, that it's something that like we uh, psychologically project into the culture as a result of... Right. You know, uh, he he would often use a word like complex, like a complex that we have that we haven't been able to deal with. And yeah, we project it out into the culture. But that's interesting because I never heard that associated with the cryptids. And it's, that stuff always fascinates me, that way of, of looking at things. I mean, Mothman specifically too, because it is directly related to something that did happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In this time. Like even some scenes of the movie were borrowed from the real telling of the story. You know what I mean? And there was a person who like went and stayed in Point Pleasant to investigate all the stuff surrounding the events. Like it's, but it's like I don't know. Somebody claims that they had premonitions about it happening, and there's record of them talking about it before the bridge like collapsed and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just kind of it's it's interesting. All of it's interesting, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's even with the um, chupacabra, right? Because people were finding the cattle, you were saying, and then, you know, there's no explanation for it and, and, you know, trying to fathom, like, what's going on and then generating this. And perhaps, I mean, I don't know, perhaps chupacabra is real, but definitely, like, on this, this psychological aspect of it where people are generating something to 
explain an unknown. You know, and it, that's it's always interesting to me, like exploring the unknown. I guess even in like y'all traveling so much, like that's that's what's intriguing to me, right? Because you're you're going into all this unknown territory, right? You're like on the road and and seeing all these different places, and uh, that exploration of the unknown is is always fascinating, whether it's like physical landscape or the psychological landscape. Right. As someone who has massive anxiety about even the littlest of things, and the weird thing because you you're like cognizant that you have anxiety about it, and you're still kind of like helpless to control it. But it's like I feel like just the more you learn about the world around you, the less scary things become. Mm-hmm. And it's like I think it's my desire to be thorough in my understanding of the world around me that contributes to my anxiety more than anything. You know, it's because it's like you can only be so thorough. A lot of it you won't understand, and that's like the big existentialist question, right? And that's why we create cryptids because we want to just so desperately explain something that we don't know how to explain. And we probably never will. You mentioned anxiety. I'm curious, like, does that being on the road, does that help with the anxiety or does that cause situations that can enhance the anxiety? Both, you know? <laughs> yeah. Have you found like something like that's been helpful for you? Like if, if anxiety is coming up? And you're like, say you're away from home, you're on the road, you know, you, you're not in your, your comfortable or familiar territory and you're feeling anxious. Has there been things that have been helpful? It's more about just uh, trying to learn how to not feel so threatened by things that set off your, I feel threatened sensors, if you will. Because <laughs> I think it could just be a major dysregulation, a result of fucking trauma. Oh, in, in one flavor or fashion or another. And I think a lot of anxiety that we've like, somehow been taught or we don't we don't treat it like it's anxiety for that reason because it's like oh it's just like a knee-jerk reaction but it's like we explain it away as like just being part of our personality blah blah blah. i'm not a risk taker blah blah blah. i don't know feeling like i have more control over my life in general does help with my anxiety because even when you know i was working a job that occupied over 40 hours of my life every week it brought a different kind of anxiety and I eventually got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore because it was very bad for my mental health. So I just find myself having new challenges with anxiety. But I feel like being able to do the thing that I love, that I've always wanted to do, is like the biggest thing that has helped. I'm sure, like, you know, Andy, if you're feeling anxious, Scotty is aware of that, whether you say something you don't. I'm curious, like, in those moments, Scotty, how do you respond? Like, you know, do you get anxious? Like, because I know, like, in the past, like when my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, but when she would have anxiety, like I would shut down in the past. Like that was my response because I didn't know how to be present in those moments with her. I'm just curious, like, is that, you know, does it bring up anything in you? Uh, I, I would think I've become a little bit more aware. I'm pretty hyper vigilant of my surroundings as a whole. It kind of comes with. I've been sketching in public for a long time. Mm. So, you know, I like to watch people and then, you know, sketching them. But when anxiety strikes, you know, and it becomes a little too much, I just try to, like, just reassure, be like, this is something we can do. If you need to do something, it's okay. You know, it's, you don't want to try to chastise any more than they might be chastising themselves in their head for, for one reason or another, you know, just trying to be... Uh, a beacon of reassurance in the moment. I don't know why, but like I, you know, I was just hiking the other day with my wife and my youngest. You know, my kid is just talking about like 
how we were on such a long hike or whatever and going uphill at the end. And I was like, well, you know, we could do hard things. And I've been saying that like a lot lately, like we can do hard things. My wife's like, why are you always saying that lately? I was like, you know, I don't know, I guess, because definitely like I've had anxiety with all the things I'm working on. I have a lot of projects going on, but um, my wife is quitting her job yesterday. She told her boss, but she had a lot of anxiety to like go and tell her boss because in, she's in a position where like she's the only one doing what she does. There's, so it's not like there's going to be someone else there. And her right. boss has been difficult, I guess would be, you know, a way to describe it in general. But she had all this anxiety, like, you know, building up because she knew she was going to be telling him she's quitting. And um, we were texting, you know, and she was, went into work or whatever, at eight in the morning. She was going to tell him at, at six when she was leaving. And then I was just going back and forth, you know, and you got this and you could do it. But it was just funny because she texted me back. She's like, yes, I can do hard things. And, but, you know, it's just funny because I've been saying it for like a month and then there she was using it. But you know, anxiety is its something I've experienced. I talked a little about this in the podcast. Like I never struggled with it until I got out of prison. And I thought the opposite. I thought if I'm going to prison and I can deal with like three years of prison, like nothing's going to bother me. But then I got out and I was like, I had the most anxiety I ever had. I mean, part of it relates to what you were saying, Andy, where like, you know, working the job that you had and, and anxiety around that. I knew I didn't want to. I spent a long time like working for other people and I didn't want to do that when I got out. So I think a lot of my anxiety is around like I'm starting over and trying to create a business for myself. And I kind of feel like if this doesn't work out, like this is my only chance. Like, I, you know, I have to get this right. And that's, I think, where the anxiety comes from. I, I feel like there's a lot of stake because I don't want to go back to, you know, working for somebody else. I definitely spent years doing that and didn't enjoy it. So I became aware of you when I got released from prison and I don't know how, I think I heard someone mention you both or the band in a podcast and I kind of just checked it out. But there was three bands that I was unfamiliar with when I got out that I was really excited about. Um, and they're all somewhat different. One was called Happy Happy. I never heard of them till. I was released and kind of looking what's going on with music. Um, another was Amigo the Devil. And then the third was you folks. And I had reached out to you folks and, you know, we started communicating. But one thing I've been aware of since I reached out to you is that y'all are always on tour. I, I'm always like saying like you're never home. And like I thought maybe that had something to do with why you're called Florida's Phantom Folk Band because you're never there because you're just constantly on tour. I'm curious. You know, it's one thing to decide to start a band. It's another thing to decide to start a band and go on tour. And then it's an even bigger thing to decide to start a band and go on tour constantly. Was that something that y'all were planning, like as a band from the beginning, that you're going to be on the road as much as you are? I don't think we plan to be traveling as much as we currently are, no. But we've been traveling like this pretty much since the year 2016. And it's really kind of a result of just what life is like in Florida and myself especially at the time I was working in the service industry and um, a lot of Florida's economy is kind of propped up by service industry tourism stuff it's like our season is the winter time when the weather is you know more tolerable and in the summertime everything pretty much dies and school's out and people go on vacation it's like you just you aren't making any money so it's like the places I worked were more than happy to let a full-time employee just like disappear for two months and they wouldn't have to pay me, you know? So it kind of turned into this yearly thing where it was like every time summer rolled around, you know, I would be like, all right, peace. And we'd travel for a couple months. And a couple of years back, I finally quit the industry 
what I'm hoping is for good, but last year we toured for a total of nine months. So it's like, it's kind of just like escalated because established in Florida, we found ourselves leaving the state a lot to find shows for people that maybe were a bit more interested in the kind of music we were playing. I don't know. Both of us were cultured in Florida. We cultivated our, our music scenes in our respective cities that we grew up in. So it's it's kind of just like more of a product of like where we've been, you know? Uh, we've established more of our contacts and, and negotiations and stuff outside of Florida. We just found ourselves playing outside of Florida, quite frankly, more often than we did in the state. It's kind of a complicated thing to... <laughs> to explain why we we tour so much you know but we knew that we wanted to leave the state of florida eventually in terms of our home so that's also part of it i think you know so you mentioned going to places where people might be more receptive to the music you play Mm -hmm. i I don't know exactly how to describe y'all it's kind of folk it's kind of bluegrass it's a little got this like almost like punk attitude or edge to it at times like how how do you describe the music you play Kind of like that. We fumble through it too. <laughs> because we don't really know. We both we both kind of grew up in the punk rock scene playing different instruments. <laughs> I, I played drums in, um, in the Southwest Florida hardcore scene and Andy played guitar in like the Central Florida punk scene, you know? So we, um, I don't know. At one point, we just kind of wanted to expand our musical tastes for one reason or another. And we kind of landed in playing folk. <laughs> I feel like it's once again revisiting this idea that, like, our environment kind of demanded it. Like, I mean, first of all, like, angry, aggressive, distorted, loud music isn't necessarily the most palatable thing to retirees, you know? So it's like we've, I don't know, found ourselves kind of like playing acoustic instruments because it's less work, you know, first of all, you know, you're not dealing with amps and stuff. It's less gear. Um, but it's also just can be controlled and made quieter and you can still convey these ideas that you want to convey because, you know, that's a whole other thing we can talk about later, the pipeline between like folk and punk, but it's like, I don't know. I think it's a result of where we grew up as well. Well, I could definitely see as much as you're on the road, like not having amps is, uh, makes the travel much easier for sure with you folks being in the road as much as you are I'm, I'm just curious like what what about that do you enjoy the most like you said you were on the road for basically nine months last year if you're doing it that much there's got to be things that you're enjoying so what what do you enjoy about it the most i mean obviously we like we, we love playing music and meeting people and talking to other people and hearing stories and stuff we also enjoy uh, hitting all kinds of different historical sites and different cemeteries. We try to find some weird things, not just like the, the touristy stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a pretty enjoyable part. I think travel at its core is something we both enjoy doing for, for so many reasons. It does offer an interesting perspective, and I think that's like a byproduct of doing it and something I didn't realize I would enjoy so much. But uh, going to cities and having one night's opportunity to kind of like get a slice of life from that place, you do get to collect these over time the more you travel and you just realize you can step back from life and look at it all from like this larger, wider lens, I think, because you've had that experience in so many different places 
different kinds of people. So it's like, I find that I enjoy that quite a bit, you know, giving me some perspective, you know. When you folks played Connecticut and I met you for the first time, the next day you were like, well, we're going to hit up the Pez factory. Let's, let's hang out. So we went, we went to uh, check out the Pez factory. Connecticut doesn't have much. Um, you know, we got the Pez factory, the wiffle ball factories here. I think we have maybe not anymore, but one point in time we were the only producer of wiffle balls in the world. <laughs> and then uh, we talked a little bit then and a little before the podcast now we we connecticut has the the leather man he's a uh kind of folklore legend historical figure that's fascinating to me we can get more into that at some point but what are some of the places that that come to mind like you know you're on tour and, and you're checking out some cool spots are you more interested in like stuff like city culture, exploring things there, or are you more interested in uh, things out in nature, going through places like that? Is, is one more appealing? I can answer that for sure. We like to visit national parks, and we really enjoy natural elements, you know what I mean? Parks that are kind of centered around natural landscape and stuff, but we do find, like, we travel with a dog, who is not a service animal, um, so we're like, what can we do with our dog? And cemeteries are a good one. And there's oftentimes a lot of historical figures, especially in larger cities, you know, and then you end up learning a lot more about them than you would have otherwise. Or national parks where we can get a little bit of historical context on something that happened there. Scotty's a veteran, so that helps us get into some of those parks um, for a lesser charge or no charge at all, which is super helpful, you know, when you're traveling. And so I feel like a lot of these questions come back to like, it's kind of dictated by like our circumstances on the road too. You know, it's like, I would love to be able to explore more cities, but having a dog, especially a dog who isn't necessarily like the nicest to other dogs at first, like it's hard to be around a bunch of other dogs. Um, so if it's a dog friendly city, sometimes it gives, you know, presents complications, you know, and cities just by and large cost more to be in. Uh, you got to pay to park everywhere yada 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 that kind of stuff so we find ourselves out in nature a lot more and just going to parks and cemeteries like if we are in cities like we're hanging out with the dead folks or the corpse like it's real quiet it's nice and layla can be free to hang out there it's fun and we, we still get to learn stuff about that area and it's like this kind of learning more about the cd underbelly of it rather than learning about the stuff that's presented to you and the tourist magazine or, you know, we like to do that stuff too. But. If you come back to Connecticut, we have some interesting cemeteries and Connecticut's got a lot of history. I mean, we had, I've definitely seen uh, cemeteries dating back to like the early 1600s. So That's cool. yeah, actually in New Haven, the New Haven green used to be a cemetery. And at one point they decided to move it. I don't, I don't know when this was, it was a long time ago. And from my understanding, they they basically dug up the bodies of of the the rich folks and moved them, and the and then the poor folks they kind of left there and just moved the the tombstone. And as time went on, this was back in the day when uh, people were farming in that area. Cattle used to graze on the green, and when the rains would come, the bodies would like from the cattle walking around, there would be like body parts like washing up on the green. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> But we do have a lot of cool uh, cemeteries in Connecticut. If if they all come back, we'll have to check some out. Oh, yeah, we definitely will. So when I was in prison, I don't know why, but I had this something about New Mexico really appealed to me. I'd never been to New Mexico. Uh, I had this like, I just remember like being in there thinking like one day I'm going to live in New Mexico and it kept appealing to me. Have, have you all traveled through New Mexico? 
We did uh, in 2019. I believe we played a house show in Albuquerque. Yeah. What were yeah. your thoughts on on New Mexico? Oh, it was like a, another world. <laughs> it's it's kind of neat. Uh, I wish we could have done more or explored more, but just the just going through there was a different experience. You know, there's rocks everywhere. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, scenically it looks so different. Yeah, the houses yeah, are way right. different. Feels like being on another planet, but. I mean, it was a pretty tight knit little uh, scene, you know, a fun little house show. We haven't had a whole lot of experiences that far southwest. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a lot of open space out that way, you know. We're still trying to make connections down there, but Why yeah, don't <laughs> we don't have many opportunities to play through there. <laughs> I know you both played uh, at the compost heap recently. Um, I know you met my yeah. co-host. Briefly, have have y'all ever played that before? Or was that your first time? That's our first time this year. Yeah, we were supposed. To, well, we got accepted to play the day uh, the year before, but we were already booking the opposite way, so right we couldn't do it. Yeah, logistics <laughs> didn't allow for it, so this was our. First How was it? How was the the fest? It was fun, man. <laughs> There's one thing that always like comes to mind. Like everybody who was who was there was pretty awesome. Hey, have you have you been no, there to the venue? There's a there's it's like a garage, you know, and uh, there's like everybody's like jam packed in this garage. And I don't think there was very much ventilation, but I walked past the door and I just got hit with like a bunch of heat and a, and sweat and it, like knocked me off my feet for a second. <laughs> I was like, whoa! So in some ways, almost exactly what you'd expect, you know, for like. A little punk festival. It was pretty fun. We had a good time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those the if you're gonna be joining a folk punk uh, shows and stuff, you're definitely gonna get get some smells coming at you. Usually, (laughs) (laughs) I have uh, what is called, and I don't know really the story behind this, but it's called a dick tit. (laughs) So what? What is the story? So like, it was a (laughs) character that we. we bought at one of your shows. What what was the story behind those? There wasn't really one. I kind of yeah. Just... I wish it was more exciting, other than Scotty just sculpting this tiny weird uh, dick that has tits for testicles and a weird gummy mouth and a creepy look on it. Like I wish it was a but more. You actually story. sculpted those. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I sat down one day and was like, "I'm gonna make a dick tit." How many did you make? <laughs> well, uh... he sculpted one. And then he made a mold of it. Right. So he was cast them in resin. So actually all uh, plastic, like resin cast. And then hand, some of them are painted with like uh, pigment powders and stuff. Some of them are glow in the dark. Some of them are golden. Yeah, Yeah, you're lucky to get a golden dick. (laughs) Right. There's a a number of golden dick heads out there. (laughs) I had somebody come up to the merch table over the weekend. He picked up the dick tits and he's like, dick tits. What do you do with that? I'm like, you play with them. <laughs> and he just jumped and he threw them down. And he's like, oh, man, come on. He's like, come on, man, come on, man. He was real, real upset by that. Uh, my co-host was at Compost Heap, and he one of the questions, he was going around asking bands questions, and then the bands would also ask a question for like the next band he spoke to. And one of them was, uh, what was the weirdest merch you saw at somebody's merch table and when i heard the episode like the first thing that popped in my head was like oh the swamp rats had dick tits i don't know <laughs> like it was just made me laugh 
<laughs> yeah, I'm glad to have one. It's actually sitting on my shelf right here. Thank you for telling us that. That brings me a lot of joy. So, I I bought a shirt of your folks too before we met. I uh, through the mail, and I was I was wearing the shirt, and I it could have been the guy that you have a upcoming split cassette with approached me about the shirt. And so, what's up? You have an upcoming. Why don't you tell me a little about that? The, the upcoming split and who it's with. Tim Holhouse. Yeah, Tim Holhouse. I believe that's who I met from the UK, right? Yeah. 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 He uh, super sweet. He comes over. He comes over here every year for his birthday to play fest in Florida. We kind of clicked one year, and after like just doing a few things over the years, we're just like, "Hey, let's do this." Uh, yeah, we split. come through Central Florida when we were living down there. You know, we both have a, an affinity for bad religion, so there we each have a bad religion cover on the on the split. Mm-hmm. There's also two new original songs from each of us. It was a lot of fun to do. I did all the artwork for it, and I think Tim's going to have it at Fest this weekend. Nice. What What's the then, Bad Religion cover that, that y'all did? Uh, we did Sorrow. Is that your favorite Bad Religion song? Well, I mean, it's the one that we've been playing for a long a long time, so... I don't know if it's my favorite. But right, there's so many to choose from. It's honestly. definitely a good, hard-hitting one. So... Nine months on the road last year, and we kind of talked about what you like about being on the road. What's difficult with it? Like, what's the hardest aspect for being on the road as much as you are? You well, can't, nothing's really guaranteed where we're at. The highest level of contracts we deal with are emails and small claims. So if, if something drops off, then we might be just fucked. Right, I mean, <laughs> technically, it's a contract, but it's like, yeah, it's not even worth the expense to go pursuing. And it's uh, so that's a bummer. We we don't generally do a whole lot of ticketed events. We do a lot of breweries mm-hmm. and places where uh, people can they can come in for free if they want. You know, you know, it's just the route that we've been taking. You know, that just leads to a whole other set of problems, like. Maybe that that brewery decides they're not going to be open <laughs> the week before you know you get there, <laughs> and right. that kind of takes however much that guarantee might have been out of your pocket. You know, aside from too the, late to actually remedy the situation. Sometimes, aside from the obvious glaring issues, I think it's everything else is pretty manageable, and we really enjoy what we do. You know, it's true. I mean, post COVID, everything's just been tougher in general in terms booking shows and all that as well things have become a little more unpredictable with that much time on the road i'm curious how does songwriting work for for both you it's fractured yeah we do a little bit everywhere i work a little backwards where i'll write the words first and then uh come up with a melody later it's kind of a little bit of everything i guess Yeah. (laughs) yeah i do a lot of the driving so i don't do a lot of songwriting while we're literally traveling. <laughs> Maybe I will. So the first song that I heard that intrigued me with you folks was uh, Butcher's Knife, which I'd like to hear a little more about that. Cause it's, I mean, you have other songs that kind of like, I don't know, tackle or tell a story that's kind of like a social aspect to it. But Butcher's Knife seems to be like a little more like political in a way. You know, like you'll have a song like Fall of Man, which I really like. But like Butcher's Knife has more of a political edge almost to it. 
Um, could you tell me a little right. more about that one? Yeah, Butcher Knife is one that I had written. And just kind of one day I was like, yeah, why don't we play this one? I think in a place like Florida, a lot of times you shy away from anything that's going to piss anyone off too much just because of how everything is like it's a tourist state and you're just constantly out to please whoever's in the bar. You know what I mean? It's whatever. And it tends to be a magnet for conservative, wealthy people as well. So like if you're challenging any of those entrenched ideas, it's it could affect whether or not you get hired. You know what I mean? I think for me, that's just like I feel like I have to at least say something these days whenever we go to play it. I'm just like, you ever try to write a song that kind of like sums up sums up all the stuff that you want to say about what you hate about, but you realize that you can barely like scratch the surface of it, you know? It's just like, let's stop for a minute, you know? Talk about the state of things. Like, can we at least come to an agreement that this is happening and it's not just something that's happening in my mind, you know? Have people ever been upset or like that you're aware of? Like, has anyone ever said anything? I mean, we've all, we've played some other stuff like uh, I ain't got no home, Woody Guthrie. So that might be taken wrong, but no, no, nobody's nobody's ever come up to us and said anything. But I'm I'm also very scary looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the this is the most offensive thing might have been the dictates. Yeah. <laughs> but we might have scared them before they wanted to say anything. <laughs> all right, so. We're getting close to an hour here. Um, hopefully, you folks would be be uh, down to come back on. Maybe we could talk about the Leatherman at some point and our for our Patreon. Yeah. All right. We'll get y'all on the on the back end of the podcast, and we'll have conversation there. But is there anything else you want to yeah. share with listeners before we take off? Just you know, go and follow us on the Bandcamp and Spotify, and that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll put all your links in the description for sure. Um. This has been great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, folks. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks for checking out this episode of Back in the Grind. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating on whatever platform you listen to. It'll help us expand the show and be able to get even more guests that you want to hear on the, on the show. If you want to support us even further, consider joining our Patreon. There's a link in the episode description. You'll have access to special episodes, additional content from our guests, and you'll be able to have direct communication with myself or my co-host at times. Until next time, stay free and enjoy Butcher's Knife by the Swamp Rats. Welcome to a day in the life, the land of the free, the home of the Butcher's Knife, a place where all your dreams will come.
Sisters too. 